Deplorable Nation, a podcast where your voices can be heard, where things that affect you and your family are important, because it's important to all of us. Every one of us matters and everybody has a voice. We're going to be bringing you news, current events, and throw in a lot of humor. And then you decide for yourself. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and I just want to say don't forget to go to campfireblend.com. Visit my girl Shannon. She has the best coffee and the best meat rub around the whiskey coffee meat rub is amazing. So make sure you go check that out. Also go over and check out Miss Jackie from Bootleg Media. Check out her freedomshopdirectory.com where you can find all Patriot-owned businesses. If you have a Patriot-owned business, you can also submit that. You can also feel free to donate because every penny uh, goes back into the business to, to help you guys out. And also, don't forget to go to my sponsor, MyPillow.com. Use promo code Janet to save up to 66% off at checkout. If you check out the radio promotion tab right now, the slippers are 50% off and they are fabulous. So anyway, that's the business for today. I have a wonderful, fantastic guest today that I'm so excited to talk to. It is Mr. Emmanuel Kingman from the Goodness Over Darkness podcast. So welcome, and how the heck are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Janet. It is an honor to be here. I'm doing very well today. It's actually one year ago today is when I was saved by Jesus. Good. I'm so happy to talk about this today. It, it makes it makes me smile from ear to ear. I love so, that. Before we get into the <clears throat> nitty gritty of your story, uh, tell people about your podcast, why you started it, what's it about, and what made you start it in the first place. Okay, so my podcast is called Godcast, the Goodness Over Darkness podcast. And I started it because I, well, so I started waking up a few years ago. And then after I was saved by Jesus last year, I. I was already planning on going on podcasts to talk about spiritual awakening, but then I had this idea that I was going to do, I didn't really want to do a spiritual awakening thing because there are so many of those. I wanted to bring together people who were red-pilled and people who are blue-pilled, make them merge together a little bit. So I had the idea to mm -hmm. bring forth the things like uh, weight loss and how to deal with bad breakups and all sorts of just normie type of stuff to introduce mm -hmm. them into like conspiracy and spiritual awakening and all. And God had another plan and it turned out that I just started interviewing people, you know, at first I'm just trying to find my way. And then lately it's been a lot of alternative history uh, of, well, how our history has been covered up, a lot of spirituality, a lot of, about Jesus, 
so many different things that it's really just anything that goodness overcoming darkness in any way. That's what my podcast is all about. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you about this today, because it's kind of what I do here is um, basically like human interest stories and things that affect people in their life and where they are spiritually and if they are like how that has affected them and their journey, you know, in life and and stuff. So I think we're going to have a a fantastic time today. I agree. So you have a very interesting story that I would love for you to share with people. Yeah. Like what did you go through? When did it start happening? Okay. Interesting is like, uh, to say the least, I have so so (laughs) much to talk about at different times that any one part we could do a whole episode on. So I'll just briefly go through what I went through. So seven years ago, actually, it was like three weeks or two weeks from now, seven years ago, I was arrested for burglarizing pharmacies. I was an addict for about a decade. I was not a good person at all. I was abusive mentally, emotionally, physically. I was uh, like a rageaholic. I smoked cigarettes. I wasn't a good father. But going back further than that, I had sexual trauma as a single digit child. I had, so my entire life and world was viewed through the perception of sexualization. Uh, And from there, when I had a daughter at 19, uh, a couple years after she was born, I became an over-the-road truck driver while still battling addiction. But, you know, getting a hold of myself good enough to become an over-the-road truck driver. And my daughter's mother was cheating on me using heroin and cocaine. And she got pregnant by somebody else. And it was heartbreaking. I became very suicidal. Uh, I had lost hope in everything. The only hope that I ever had for like three solid years was that was my daughter. And if anything ever happened to her, I was, uh, I kept telling God, if anything ever happens to her, you know, I'm going to hang it up. Like that's, I'm just not going to go on anymore. And thank God that nothing ever did happen to her. And what instead happened to me was my 90th day in jail. I prayed to God for the first time in over a decade. And that slowly led me, well, first, it freed me from addiction the next day. I was free from addiction. I didn't have the urge to go get high because the whole time in jail up to that point, I was like, okay, as soon as I get out, I'm going to get high. But the day after I prayed, I didn't have that anymore. Uh, So I do my sentence. I end up getting a state sentence. I go upstate. I do everything that I have to do for that. Uh, I get a job afterwards. You know, I do all the stuff that I have to do in order to get uh, done with that program. And I did it and I never relapsed because I wasn't an addict anymore. So it wasn't as difficult for me. And I was actually in a halfway house in North Philly on 15th and Cecil B. Moore, which is right in the middle of the hood. And it's a bad place to have a halfway house, but I actually had someone in the halfway house overdose in the halfway house. So, you know, it was craziness all around me and I stayed sober and had no urges to get high during this whole time. Because like I said, as soon as I prayed, that was it for me. I I wasn't an addict. 
So I was also exercising because I became 280 pounds. I was typically skinny my whole life. And then after I had my daughter, I gained a ton of weight, became 280 pounds. And slowly I lost weight, some of it anyway, being a truck driver. But I never exercised. So I started exercising and then I got into really good shape. Uh, In 2020, I was in uh, tremendous shape. But uh, that was just another part of my story. So the awakening part that this is the part that is really fascinating for most people is three years ago, I was spiritually dead and I started meditating because I was so angry and frustrated by everything in my life that I didn't know how to not do that. I didn't want it anymore. I didn't know how to. And then I've been listening to like morning talk radio and they talk about the headspace uh, meditation app. And I give that mm-hmm. a try. And the first couple times that I did it, it was only like a minute long. I was so spiritually dead that I fell asleep within that one minute of trying to clear <laughs> out my mind. Yes. Right. And a lot of I've heard a lot of people say that when it when it's brand new to them, it's actually very physically exhausting for them. Yeah, I think it's because we raise up now, you know, knowing what I know now, I think it's because we're raising our vibration so much that Mm -hmm. people use the term like they're moving timelines. Like that's really Mm -hmm. what's happening. You're moving simulations in the moment and don't even know it. And you have to be put to sleep in order to go to the place that you want to be. Right. And, you know, I'm so glad that there are so many people that are getting into meditation, breath work, um, and finding their spiritual side. I had a guest on before that told me that, uh, you know, he was, he was raised in the church and then he went through a phase where, um, he was very, uh, much not following God, not following the church anymore. And during that period of time, he got so angry and so violent and, abusive and hateful to everybody. And uh, it wasn't until he started getting little signs here and there that woke him up again. And he said his his behavior and his demeanor completely changed. Yeah, it's amazing that once you invite God back in your life, that things just leave you. And it's uh, little things that we don't necessarily notice because not a lot of people actually have God in their lives. So we think it's a normal behavior just because so many people are doing it, but it's not actually normal. It just has become popular. So popular and normal aren't really the same thing. And we kind of confuse the two in today's society. So um, do you want to share your story about what kind of trauma that you went through? Or is that a no? Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, so... When I was, so do you want me to start when I was uh, a kid? I was like five or or seven, you know, it was around sure. that age. It was kind of like suppressed memories, repressed memories. I'm not sure the difference between the words. Uh, I just actually learned that there's a difference, but I don't know if I purposely forgot about it or if I wasn't allowed to access it for whatever reason. But I had a mm-hmm. friend who started to do things to me sexually that I didn't, you know, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't really have any inkling of what was going on. I just knew that it felt good, you know. And right. uh, it, turn, it's, it turns out that it was because he was an adult was doing this to him. And then he was going doing this to many children 
our age all around. So, I mean, just the, the trauma effect from there going all over the place, just from that one adult doing that to that one child. Uh, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. And uh, so that right there is like that caused so much turmoil in me that I was actually, and this is something I just remember not long ago. I was at a park with uh, a friend, another friend and the friend's mother. And she said, when we got there, you know, she says, if any strangers try talking to you, don't talk to them and come tell me. So I remember a little kid, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, about the same age as me and my friend were, came up and started talking to us. So I went over to her and I was like, the, the stranger's trying to talk to me. And she laughed at it, which, you know, it's, if you don't have reason to think that there's something to it, then yeah, it's a funny thing that, you know, an adult told me if a stranger comes to talk to me that to tell her and she's expecting me to think the stranger is an adult, but not knowing that I have this sexual abuse right. happening to me by another child that I'm telling her, you know, it's pretty much a cry for help at that point now that I'm reflecting on it. Mm-hmm. And, right. and she laughed at me. So then, okay, I don't trust authority. You told me to tell you, and now you're laughing at me when I'm telling you. So you're sending me mis- uh, mixed messages. Right. And, you know, we were taught that growing up um, that you you never talk to strangers, you know, yeah. you, you never let a stranger near you. It was like stranger danger. Always report that. Yeah. And, and, you know, you said something earlier that is so true. Um, it felt good. And so you didn't realize at the time that it was abuse. And I, that's what a lot of, um, kids and, you know, adults or whatever go through that because a lot of times it's done by a family member and, and they don't, especially children don't relate that to, um, to any kind of abuse. They kind of relate it to love because they don't know any better. Right. And it's like a shame type of thing too. It's kind of like, it's an unspoken thing. Like it's uncomfortable to speak about and actually it was sam tripoli gave me the courage to speak on it because he was Mm -hmm. talking about what was going on with him uh, around that age on and i listened to you know tinfoil hat was a big part of my awakening and Mm -hmm. i was like you know what i'm going to speak my truth then and yeah and it really once i did that and especially on the podcast doing that because my first 13 episodes they're horrible audio quality and all that it was me telling my story and it was very difficult to get through, but getting through it, what it did for me spiritually, the growth that I incurred from doing that, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unimaginable to not tell my story now. Right. And that's that's why I wanted to ask you, because it is a form of therapy. Um, it's kind of like people who have PTSD, too. Going back to the scene of the, you know, incident or whatever um, helps you put things into focus. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing to uh, talk about trauma because it's part of your healing process. Yeah, for sure. That way you don't have to suppress feelings or emotions anymore. Right. And it's like you remove yourself from the emotional part of the memory and you're observing the memory 
as an outsider almost. And the more you mm-hmm. do that, the more detail you get to see and the right. more release Clarity. you get to have. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I thank you for sharing that. And, and I know, you know, for a lot of people, that's really difficult to share things like that, but it's always good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so on your <clears throat> addiction issue, um, what age do you think you were when that started? Okay. So I started dabbling in uh, drugs and alcohol, probably 13, 14, smoking cigarettes right around that age. Uh, but my addiction really started when I was 19. I had atrial fibrillation one night of drinking, I don't know, right. between eight to 10 beers or so with my ex fiance, my daughter's mother. Uh, we were drinking and I, the next day I woke up, I went to sleep before everybody else because, uh, you know, I was too drunk and I woke up and I really couldn't stand up. I really couldn't sit up mm-hmm. without, uh, this, I, it was laboring to breathe. Right. I have AFib, so I know what uh, that's like. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I was, I was a 19 year old, uh, boy and, uh, the doctors and nurses were telling me that this is typical in women that are in their late thirties or forties. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of strange, but I have another part of my story that that'll go with that. Maybe later on Mm -hmm. we'll get to it, but it's a little weird. But anyway, what that ended up doing for me was the doctor or a nurse that was releasing me. She said, uh, well, you either have to drink a beer or two every day or you don't drink at all. And I'm, I think I was 18 at that time. Maybe I was 17. You know, it kind of all blurs together at this point. But between 17 and 18, because it was before my daughter was born. So I did say 19 at first, but I think it was 17 or 18. So what that did, me and my friends, that's what we did. You know, there's nothing to do in the neighborhood we lived in but to drink and get high. Right. So my alternative was, well, okay, I'll just take uh, these prescription pills. We've been doing that every so often anyway. I'll just do that. Uh, for good for now on. And that's really what I did. They would drink and I would get some perks. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you, um, did you have any issues coming off of the Percocet? Uh, Well, so, I mean, I never really came off of it by itself because of the addiction. It was an everyday thing. I was actually taking uh, about, at one point, 300 to 360 milligrams of Percocet a day, uh, which were uh, 30 milligram Percocet were my choice or 15s because they didn't have Tylenol in them. So right. I was doing mm-hmm. at 10 to 12, 30s a day, you know, so I never really got off. But when I did get off, I would do Suboxone and Xanax or Suboxone and Klonopin, which I was still, you know, getting very high off of in a different way. So I didn't really have the detox symptoms. I never really got that sickness that people get when they uh, detox, when they're withdrawing from opioids. I never really got that. That's good. Yeah, maybe because (laughs) I never really allowed myself to, but I don't know. Yeah, and that's it's a really good thing that uh, that didn't happen to you because withdrawing from narcotics is absolutely horrific. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you know, worse 
a lot of people have told me that is way worse than trying to detox from heroin or cocaine. Mm. So, yeah, you know, well, they kept me on um, the metal. So when I went to jail, they kept me on the medical wing for two weeks because at that time, so they found no Percocet on my body, which was so strange because that's, you know, I did so much of it and Mm -hmm. I didn't come up for any opioids, but they found, so much of the benzos because I was on a lot of Klonopin and Xanax at the time as I'm burglarizing pharmacies, you know, that's kind of what you take to, instead of beer muscles, it's kind of like, you know, stupid, stupid mind. So to make you brave, uh, so to right. speak. And they, so they kept me on the medical wing for two weeks because my levels were so high of the benzos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's craziness. And so what, what made you start it? Was it just because of boredom? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it wasn't like I had, so I mean, I did have like rough things happening to me as a child and and a teenager, you know, everyone goes through with their parents when they're a teenager and they want to do their thing and their parents are not letting them. And, but it wasn't overly bad. I don't think, I think it was pretty typical, but there, so as I've become awakened, I have uncovered these dreams, quote unquote dreams of an alien abduction scenario that was happening to me throughout my entire life. And it was always, it was weird little things, little quirks that I had, like I'd be afraid of my windows at night. I wouldn't go down to the basement at nighttime. I wouldn't go in my backyard at nighttime. Uh, I've, always felt like someone was watching me even in my house there are little things like that that i reflect on now and knowing what i know now that they weren't dreams that this was an actual scenario that was happening to me uh that it's maybe partially that and that's what i was getting at with the afib that i had that happen to me so when i had afib they came in to shock me with the paddles and as soon as the doctor walked in with the paddles my heart fixed itself like literally mm-hmm. he opened the door had the thing in his hands and the heart monitor just fixed itself right then and there and i it's going to sound weird but i have implants in me i i know that i've found injection sites in my body that the military and uh, in conjunction with the grays and the mantids, they injected me with different things. And I think that's part of the reason why I had AFib. I think something mm-hmm. went haywire when I drank too much that night and that they maybe sent some kind of electrical signal to fix my heart so that I didn't get killed by the doctor using the paddles right then and there. Right. And you know, you're not the first person that's told me that. I talked to um, a young lady before that knows there's something in her leg. Mm. Um, but once, once it was put in her leg, um, like she had all kinds of medical issues that started happening to her. Um, but she has very vivid memories of them showing up and doing that in her bedroom. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and so I think that part of my addiction was suppressing that because when you're doing drugs, you can't remember your dreams. So I think subconsciously, subconsciously, I was kind of doing that to avoid the memories. And Mm -hmm. as I uh, awakened more and more exploring my psyche, it was just like coming out more and more. And I had to face those memories and really understand what happened to me and why I did the things that I did. And that's a a really a big part of it. So at the time in my mind, though, when I'm 17, 18, 19, and I'm doing this, I think it kind of was just out of boredom. And that was all I knew to do for fun was to alter my consciousness in this way. So if Mm -hmm. I had other options, maybe I wouldn't have, but I could have had other friends that didn't do these things that I was friends with at one time that didn't go down the route that me and my friends did. So I don't know. I think it all kind of goes hand in hand. Right. I agree. So when you were in jail um, and you prayed to God, what made you do that? Okay. So I had a Sally that was reading this book. I got to look it up because every time I, I talk about this, I forget what the name of the book was, but I think it was like something, uh, a master with, uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was some kind of psychologist that was doing regression therapy on his patient. And then it was a woman and out of her mouth came a deep voice that the doctor identified as the voice of God and was telling him all of the secrets of life, essentially, in this little book. And I was like, okay, well, that like kind of intrigued me. But I had, as a teenager, I had rebelled against God. I was like, there's no God. Look at all the people who have all the money and the fame. They don't pray to God. They they have all that they have, and they don't talk about God ever. So uh, when I'm raised uh, kind of Christian, I was mm-hmm. uh, Methodist, uh, but I didn't go to church. I never went to a church mass until just this past Christmas Eve. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I grew up just going to Sunday school from like the ages of five to 10, just not every Sunday, maybe half the the year, not even really half the year. I didn't learn anything from there. So when I rebelled, it was just like rebelling against the idea that was being pushed in a general sense. Not that I didn't think that there was anything else, but it was just, I don't know. I wasn't a non-believer in any God, but I really didn't believe that there was some man in the sky watching me. Right. Uh, So when I prayed, it was, so my whole unit for whatever reason, and they weren't supposed to do this, but about half were Muslim and about half were Christian. And they would all, all the Christians at the end of the night before lockdown, they would all get in a circle and they would say a prayer at night. I wouldn't join in. I would just, you know, think it was silly. And the Muslims every morning would get up and they would be doing their prayers. And Mm -hmm. so after my celly was telling me about this book, I was like, all right, I will uh, read it. Or I don't, I did read it, but I was like, all right, well, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. I want to just talk to God. So I prayed to God and I said, God, I am not built for this. You know, this isn't for me. I want to not be here anymore. So, you know, I'm sorry or whatever. You know, I didn't really know what to say, mm-hmm. but it, it changed my life. I'm so glad that um, 
you had that experience. And this may sound like a silly question, but does he uh, manifest messages to you uh, or signs or anything? Oh, yeah. I'm in constant communication with Jesus. It's uh, really... It's a phenomenon that the connection I have with Jesus, and I don't, I'm not bragging at all when I say this. I'm not saying this from a prideful manner, but I talk to Jesus as if he is my thoughts. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I really learned how to recalibrate my moral compass and just right. listen to him. And mm-hmm. like, I made all these bad decisions when I tried doing it on my own. So then every time I came, comes to a decision, I really just allow the spirit in me to guide me. And when I right. when I come up, when I rub up against friction, when I come up against something that isn't easy, I'm like, okay, this really isn't it. But it's not that it's not easy because there's a lot of things that I do that I don't want to do, but I feel compelled to do them. So it's, mm-hmm. but I can feel the difference between it's being, um, being bumping up against a wall because I'm not supposed to be doing it versus uh, I got to do this because God wants me to do this. It's it's a very different feeling. So when I say not easy, it's not easy to explain that. But uh, yeah, I definitely, I see everything. So when I did a bunch of psychedelics, I've done all of them essentially, except for Iboga in like a three month period, maybe like two and a half, three months. And that was like one per weekend, even a few weekends I would, I did two. And that really just dissolved the walls from being a human to being a spirit. And since then, I don't recommend doing psychedelics uh, to mm-hmm. anybody. <laughs> Not that I don't recommend it because they can be very helpful, but I can also just recommend Jesus and he will do everything for you that you need right. to do. I've had that discussion with people before that said, oh, you haven't, you haven't ever tried that. And I said, no, (laughs) and I don't need to, because I already am in very in tune um, with my relationship and who I am yeah, and who he wants me to be. And so uh, for me, it's not necessary. Yeah. What it did for me, it just had me touch with my creative side and it got me to dissolve the walls completely like immediately like i no longer saw the matrix not that i see things differently with my physical eyes but i have my third eyes awakened so that i see things in a whole new manner i'll be looking at someone and i can see jesus around them or i can see jesus coming through them i can just feel that there's a demonic presence in somebody uh the way that we're all born with special capabilities and special right. things, special gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just have this, I have special gifts. That's all. And I've learned how to use them. So yeah, I see things in my everyday life. Like when I look at my cats, I watch my cats play and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I can see that's me and my girlfriend do doing our thing. But as a mm-hmm. cat, you know, it, it's things like that. I see it in my billboard when I go into the supermarket and it's playing a song or a commercial and it's answering a question that I have in my mind, you know, something like that. That's how mm-hmm. God speaks to us in all manners throughout all of existence. Cause he is a creator of everything. So he speaks to you using his whole creation. Right. And it's so, it's so interesting to get 
<clears throat> messages or, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, it, make it sound like this, but it's kind of like being told what to do. Yeah. Um, because I've, I've been, you know, with my husband before and we were actually at a concert and we went up into the, you know, the walkway to like take a break and, you know, stretch out and go to the bathroom and stuff. And I just got this overwhelming message. I saw this lady standing against the wall and she looked so sad. And I just heard this voice say, go over give her a hug and talk to her because she needs it. Mm. And I did. And she broke down in tears and she told me that she has <clears throat> had the worst day and that she needed that so badly at that moment. And I get like a lot of that where it's like, you know, touch this person or, or speak to this person or, wow. you know, smile at somebody or, you know, whatever the case may be, but I can definitely pick up, um, the energy around people as well. Yeah. And I'm like, woo, no, stay away from that one because <laughs> that is, it's like so evil and negative. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough. And the way that I really honed into my moral compass was just, I wouldn't allow myself to walk past trash without picking it up. That was right. the literally that was the one thing that had me tune myself into God because I knew mm -hmm. that I didn't feel right when I walked past it. So then I would go back and I would pick it up. And then from that point, you know, once you have a, a basic understanding, a starting point, a reference point, if you will, then you can understand, okay, when I have this feeling, that means I, I'm doing the wrong thing. When I have this feeling it means i'm doing the correct thing so that's how you mm -hmm. gauge yourself and recalibrate your moral compass do you talk to animals a lot too oh yeah yeah i talk to my animals as if they're people and they understand me you know i can just look right, at them and same. they know it <laughs> but i even i spend a lot of time outside every day even if it's freezing cold nice. i'll literally put a snowsuit on and go outside and i talk to the wasp, I talk to the birds, I talk to the toads, like I'm always talking to whatever I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of creation. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that. And like I, every day when I get up and I go outside, I always say like, thank you for this beautiful day and, and thank you for everything that you have created for us. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I love it. I can't imagine like living life any other by any other means. Yeah, I agree. Once it happens and it's so far from who I used to be and the things that I used to think and do and say, like the person mm -hmm. that I was four, three and a half years ago, four years ago would say that this is corny and stupid and it doesn't work. Like that's so dumb. You go talk to animals and plants and, and thank some invisible thing that, that it's there. But now going through what I've gone through, and understanding the world the way that I understand it, I'm like, uh, of course, this makes more sense than anything else. And it's very logical when you start to understand things. And back then, I just had sports was what I really knew a lot. You know, drugs is mm -hmm. what I really knew a lot. Girls was what I really knew a lot. I didn't know anything that was of any importance in life. I just was mm -hmm. distracted and thought that all this was nonsense 
when it's completely the opposite way. So do you feel like um, this has shifted your focus in life to, um, how do you put this? Uh, Like, especially in your relationship with your girlfriend, um, that things are very different and you notice now that um, like there's no drama or little things don't bother you um, and stuff like that, where it used to like really get on your nerves. Oh yeah. And that, that's a really good question too, because when we are in relationships, you know, as addicts or as immature adults that don't know that they're immature, that think that they're mature just because they're a certain age, we, we tend to act based upon what we used to see from our parents or other relationships that we used to see and other relationships Mm -hmm. that we used to have. And in order to get into adult relationships, you have to let go of the past. You really can't bring your past into the present. And with my current girlfriend, I moved here in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, summer of 2020, after knowing each other three weeks and it wasn't we didn't really even know what kind of relationship it was going to be, whether it was going to be like a friendship. We just knew that there was some kind of big spark there. Mm-hmm. And right. we grew to become not only best of friends, but we also iron sharpen or iron sharpening iron. You know, we aren't just rolling over and doing as the other person says, but we're working things out and, it it took about probably a year to make sure that we were both at a point where we weren't bringing in our old stuff any longer. But this mm-hmm. last six months, it's just the most beautiful thing. Like we went to uh, the mountains f- over Christmas for a week. It was just the two of us and time couldn't have gone by slower. It felt like we lived lifetimes up there. I mean, just the amount of joy that we have spending time with each other, doing what each other wants to do and coming to agreements on things that we might not agree on, which frankly isn't all that much. But when we don't agree on it, we work it out like adults. We're not having screaming matches. We aren't throwing Mm -hmm. things. We aren't calling each other names. We are being adults who have the relationship in the middle of the two of us. It's not that I want to be right and she wants to be right. It's the relationship. How can we both heal what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. And and that's so uh, beautifully said and beautifully put because I think a lot of people are, are very self-destructive mm-hmm. in relationships because number one, they don't know how to communicate Yes, um, and it communicate effectively. And number two um, is all the all the emotional baggage that that people bring with them, um, whether it's a relationship with a past friend or a, you know a love interest or you know whatever the case may be. It, like a lot of people <clears throat> say, something didn't work out in a in a past relationship, and like a friendship broke up or something, so they're constantly waiting. Um, for their new friend to basically abandon them. They're waiting for that other shoe to drop. And I think there's so many people that are so guilty of that, of carrying emotional baggage with them into absolutely every relationship that they go into without 
really noticing that that's self-sabotaging. Right. And the thing is, people don't know how to let go of that because I guarantee a lot of listeners Mm -hmm. will be hearing that and they'll say, well, how do I not have that anymore? Mm -hmm. And the real answer is to recognize your own behaviors and to let go of those thoughts when you're having them. To recognize that you're having them is the first step. And then to Mm -hmm. let go of that thought and say, this thought no longer serves me. This thought is not what I need at this moment. And the real reason why Mimi and I, our relationship is so great is because we both put Jesus in the center and we look Mm -hmm. to him and say, what do we do? And we do it our own individual way. And that way we're not, it's not an ego thing for us. Like I said, it's a relationship thing. And we look to him Mm -hmm. because he'll guide us into the proper relationship. Right. That And that's so very true. And just, um, just having the presence of mind to know that and to know that if something is too difficult um, or you're not sure how to approach it, all you have to do is, is give your problems to him oh, yeah. and it will be fixed. And I think a lot of people miss that. And I've talked about this before that, um, some people, and it, it may sound strange, but some people pray wrong. Um, they pray uh, for things yeah. and always wanting stuff instead of giving thanks for him and for, you know, the things that he's blessed you with, the things that you see around you in nature, you know, the whole nine yards and your relationship with him. And thank you for being in my life and loving me. And, you know, and when people focus on that kind of relationship where you're focused on him and his love for you and your love for him, you don't need to ask for anything because it happens for you. Exactly. Yeah, that's beautiful. And when you said earlier about when you go out in nature every day and you're grateful and you say thank you for all of this, we tech, we get to a point, each of us probably in our own ways, we get to a point where we're like, I'm saying I'm grateful or I'm thankful, but I don't actually mean it. And that is mm-hmm. a good place to be in because you're actually recognizing that you're not being truthful. So then mm-hmm. you want to be truthful. And then the next mm-hmm. time it's much easier to actually feel what gratitude means because right. being grateful and having gratitude is an actual feeling versus saying thank you and being thankful. I mean, being thankful can be a thing, but it's a whole nother level when you have the gratitude there. Oh, absolutely. And I think gratitude is so key um, and such a beautiful basis for people to um, do inner work on themselves because, you know, even though somebody may be struggling with issues or problems or whatnot, and I always told people this um, when I was a nurse and I would tell my patients, I'm like, you sit down and make a list of things that you have in your life or that um, things that you're, that you're grateful for or things that have happened that you're grateful for. And me personally, I am so grateful for everything that's ever happened to me, good or bad, because it has made me learn and grow and shaped me into the person that I am now. 
And so, um, and I had, whoo, I had a lot of trauma in my past, but I learned from every single thing and every single relationship I've ever had, uh, every single person that's ever come in and out of my life. Um, I'm very grateful for all of that because it was all a learning lesson. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I, I'm getting there through my relationship with my parents. I'm trying to really focus on how positive things were with them. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, I feel like it was something lingering over me for a long time, even during my awakening and even while being with Jesus as much as I am, I still feel like there's more forgiveness and more gratitude that I can show. Not that I'm not forgiving and I'm not grateful to people and and circumstances, but I feel there's more that I'm not doing the best that I can. So I'm really trying to hone in on that now, especially with my uh, family. Right. And sometimes it's really hard for people. And, you know, a lot of people don't know where to start in uh, like healing relationships with their family members that have hurt them or, you know, that uh, experience some things that, you know, are kind of questionable or, or, or whatever has happened to somebody in their past. Sometimes people have a really hard time at forgiveness Mm -hmm. um, and for letting go of those memories and being like, you know what, today is a new day. And I'm not going to put any bad energy into this issue anymore. Um, It's going to be positive from today forward. And I'm not going to think about this in that light anymore. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like what we were talking about with the relationship. I'm still bringing Mm -hmm. in my emotional baggage from how things went in the past. Well, one one perspective of it, you know, not the entire perspective, just how I held on to things in that way. So I, I really got to lose that emotional. And it's hard. It's hard to do that. And, and a lot of times for people, it's hard for them to even realize what it is that they're bringing in to their new relationship that is being so destructive. And I can tell you, one thing right off the bat for a lot of people is how their uh, relationship was with their ex. Uh, if they cheated, if they were jealous, um, if you were jealous, why were you jealous? You know, what is it that is making you not be able to trust? So uh, if your answer is, I don't know. Uh, look further back than what that relationship was, because you right. have to uh, get back to the source of when you started not trusting people and you need to figure out what that incident was and let it go. Yeah, you should be a relationship expert. I don't I don't know if uh, you give relationship advice, but it, this is amazing uh, well, advice. You know what's funny? Um, so I am a retired nurse and I also taught medical school in college. Okay. Um, and so I literally have people contact me all the time that are that, and they call me therapists. They used to call me doctor at work, even though I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> they, they made like a nameplate and put on my desk because people would tell me things that they did not want to discuss with the doctor. Or, you know, people will call me out of the blue that I haven't heard from forever. 
um, just to discuss their problems with me. And then they're like, oh, I feel better. I can hang up now. That's probably the Christ in you. <laughs> and, you know, and well, and that's the, that's the thing is we all have gifts. I have multiple gifts. And so um, I'm kind of a healer. Oh, okay. And I, I don't want people to think that sounds, you know, like frou-frou in any way, but that is, that is my healing gift is what I can do emotionally. Yeah. I do energy so. work. I, uh, actually, I call myself a therapeutic conversationalist because I have <laughs> conversations with people and they tend to let out their emotions and they, right. especially when they let me into what is going on or what they're holding on to and i can right. really take that energy from them and it's like i give it to jesus they don't really know mm-hmm. how to so i just take it from right. them and then they feel so much better so i very much relate to that uh spiritual gift yeah yeah and it's it's amazing to have that and it also ties in because i've told people this before um like being an empath and and feeling people's energy and stuff uh, you can attract really dark energy too, because the devil is always coming after us yeah. and looking for that little in. And so if I'm ever around somebody that is super duper negative or real dark energy, um, I do a lot of light work and, you know, uh, protection of, you know, white light from God and like, okay. And, and it sounds silly, but sometimes I feel it like balling up in my chest Mm. and I just like put my hand, like I'm picking up a ball and pulling it out of my chest. And I'm like, okay, devil, you're not allowed here anymore. And I just like throw it in the trash or throw it out in the field or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you know, go away because you're not welcome here. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. So, you know, some people think that sounds absolutely nuts. And I understand that people don't get that um, or don't under don't understand it. So they think it sounds bizarre or crazy or quirky or whatever you want to say, which is fine. You know, people's opinions of me uh, really don't matter because in the grand scheme of things, there's there's only one person that that can judge me for who i am and that's god so exactly yeah yeah i love that and it's funny uh that well i mean not funny but you you know you have your own things and everybody has their own things so i Mm -hmm. i really like i didn't know that uh you were this connected with god uh in an energy worker kind of way you know so that's uh pretty amazing Yeah, well, that's why I really wanted to talk to you because um, I've listened to several of your shows and I'm like, okay, he's totally speaking my language and we definitely need to have this conversation. Yeah, and I need to get you on my podcast as well. Uh, I would be happy to do that because I am definitely a talker and uh, I don't mind sharing stories and, and things and, you know. I'll share on your on your show um, some things that have happened to me in the past and, uh, you know, why it basically like shook me to my core and was like, okay, 
get it together. So, okay. yeah, well, there's I'm, a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah. So um, how do you feel like this has affected, um, and I, I kind of asked you this earlier, but do you notice the little little things anymore um, that usually get people really irritated in relationships like, uh, he left this toilet seat up. Oh, that's irritating. Oh my God. She left her shoes on the floor. Uh, so, you know, little bitty nitpicky things like that. Yeah. So there really aren't those things. I mean, sometimes there are, but when there are, we just talk about it. And mm -hmm. because it's something small, uh, I mean, she'll say it to me, I'll say it to her. And because it's something small, we're willing to say, okay, you know, that's not a huge deal for me. I can change that up a little mm -hmm. bit, but I mean, sometimes there is friction between us, you know, like all people. So right. uh, we just tech, we don't really have those little issues because we're not bothered by little things. And even when we're not on our game, like I said, we'll just say it to each other in a kind way. So most of the time when little things become big things is because people, they want to be truthful rather than be kind you know like right. we, we try to be kind by avoiding the situation and then we don't want to avoid it anymore so we want to be truthful and we think that there can't be a balance of truth and kindness so her and i we just take that middle ground of okay i'm going to say this to you as nicely as possible but i am very d serious and determined to say this you know this is something i've avoided that i didn't want to avoid and mm -hmm. we, I don't preface it with all that, but this is just the but tone you, that you, I take. You come at it with a positive, uh, with a positive right. view, which is so funny because um, when the pandemic first started, I used to listen to this podcast called Dying for Sex. And it was a, a lady with cancer, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was about her life and the things that she went to, went through and whatnot. And so... Um, her best friend is the one that was recording her story throughout her oh, cancer wow. journey and stuff. And afterwards, um, after her friend actually passed away, she carried on the show for another year. And during the pandemic, I was listening to it and she was interviewing people that, you know, were forced to stay home together uh, that usually didn't or, you know, right. couples, married couples, whatever. And it, it, the things that they would complain about were so minuscule to me. It was like, I can hear her breathing. And if I hear her breathe that loud again, I'm going to choke her <laughs> or, you know, like I can hear him in the other room running on the treadmill and it's the treadmills too loud. And it's like all of these things. And it, it, it just makes me like really appreciate uh, the relationship that I have and the marriage that I have, because uh, there is nothing like that that can't be, uh, I don't want to say overlooked, but like, okay, so like if somebody leaves the toilet seat up, okay, I have, I have hands, I can put it down because it's not that big a deal. Right. And just smile and go on about my day. There's never anything between us that irritates me. And I can't imagine being married to someone where you're annoyed because you can hear them breathing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that as a multifaceted thing that people are looking for annoyance 
Uh, people right. are looking for peace and they don't have it. And they think quiet means peace. And there's also probably some negative influence. They're doing something. They're hundred percent. Yeah, they're yeah. allowing some kind of influence into their body by doing some kind of activity that is mm-hmm. opening themselves up to something. And then that thing is acting through them. And right. it really comes down to most people think that quiet means peace, but they don't have peace in their lives. So when they hear something externally, they can blame it on that. Right. And I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to think back now to um, like the times in my past where, you know, I would put negative energy into things and I'd be like, Oh, I don't have enough money to pay these bills or I don't didn't get this job or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and how um, just putting that negative energy into things that is evil working in your life. Yes, it is. Um, And that is just plain and simple because it's any little crack or crevice that he can crawl into uh, to tear you down or destroy you, destroy your relationship, um, hurt you physically, emotionally, you know, whatever the case may be. And that's why, like, I'm so even keel and happy go lucky now because I will not allow that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really when we break the word sin down, sin means to miss the mark. And what's, Mm -hmm. what's the mark? The mark is perfection. So if you're missing the mark of perfection, you're doing something where you know you can be better, but not only Mm -hmm. do you know that you can be better, but you're opening yourself up to something because you aren't being perfect. So then you're right. being influenced. And the more you take part in that activity, the more you're opening yourself up and then the more it controls you. That's really what right. it breaks down to. hundred percent. Absolutely. And very beautifully put right there. So I just want to say again, I'm so tickled pink that you joined me today and we could have this conversation. Um, because it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. So oh, well, thank, thank you, so you much. from the bottom of my heart. And I want you to tell people like where all they can find you. Okay. So you can find me. My podcast is on all the audio players, you know, wherever you get your podcast from. It's Godcast and then a colon, you know, the little colon sign, the goodness over darkness podcast. I have a YouTube channel called Goodness Over Darkness, and on there I have different, I have my podcast as well, the video portion, Uh, so I also do little breakdowns from time to time, like I broke down the book of Enoch in a three-part series, and in the third part... Fantastic. uh, Thank you. In the third part, uh, I actually spend 45 minutes on just the Son of Man references, which was way before Jesus was born. So mm-hmm. very interesting stuff. And I also have another breakdown of the world being destroyed by fire, according to the Bible. You know, the second destruction of the world by fire has already happened in the 1700s and 1800s. So I right. I have a two-part series on that. And uh, you can find me on my website is EmmanuelKingman.com, and it's I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, Kingman.com, because that's the name that 
God gave Jesus gave me when he wrote me into the book of life after he saved my life last year. And uh, you can go on there and look at my different uh, things. I actually just revamped my website yesterday. So I have different packages that I do for my mentorship program, as well as I do spiritual baptisms. So that's where they can uh, find all of your work for uh, spiritual heal- healing that they need, right? Yeah, and anybody can email me. It's the Great Chakra Awakening seven 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 at gmail dot com. You can email me and set up a free consultation, and it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. Your crazy conspiracy theory or you want to get some energy work, but you're not sure what that is or how it's done or anything, or you just really have any questions, feel free to DM me on any social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find that all on my website, or you just send me an email and we'll set up a face-to-face Zoom or uh, StreamYard talk, and we'll talk about whatever you want to. That's fantastic. And I'm, I'm so uh, thankful and we're all very blessed that you are doing the Lord's work. So thank you for that. Oh, well, right back at you. And I, I appreciate that comment very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. So make sure that you go and follow him on social media, uh, follow his YouTube channel, go check out his website. If you feel like you need assistance in the spiritual realm, hit him up. See if there is something that he can do to help you out. So make sure you also go listen to his podcast, like, subscribe, share, comment, download. Uh, that goes for both of us because it helps. It goes a long way yes, it does. to know uh, what people are thinking. So anyway, for me and for Emmanuel, We really appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next time. Have a great one. Bye.